0: I think so. Do you want to bet against us?
1: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. There's a why in the day, so that means we're going to do a podcast at this rate, you know. It seems to be every single day you guys are sick of seeing my mush, but... Uh, As I say, today we have a very, very special guest. I've picked it up on on social media because I really uh, believe that everybody wants to get a view or wants to get an inkling, I suppose, really as to what Neil uh, Critchley is going to bring to Aston Villa Football Club. And I'm delighted to be joined by Connor Hamilton from Up the Mighty Pool website and also from the Seasiders pod to discuss and to go through um, the intricacies and I suppose the idiosyncrasies, should I say, of Neil Critchley. But firstly, Connor, thank you so much for coming on. How are you today?
0: Yeah, I'm doing really well. Really I mean, apart from the fact that we've just lost our star yeah. manager, I'm, I'm doing okay, all things considered.
1: All things considered. And you know what? We'll start at that. We'll start at Blackpool as an entity first, I suppose, really before we get into Neil Critchley, because as I've said a couple of times previously, there are a club that I feel sorry for because you guys were ran into the dirt by a previous chairman and, you know, trundled down through the leagues after getting the the the, the riches of the Premier League. And, you know, arguably you could say that Neil Critchley was the, was the green shoots of recovery, but Blackpool football club as a club at the moment, what's the fee, uh, take out the Neil Critchley factor, but you know, is there a feeling of buoyancy? Is there a feeling of growth again within the club after some turgid years where you were at loggerheads with your ownership?
0: Completely. I think we are feeling on the right track. There's a lot of positive momentum in the club Um we have got rid of the oysters, those terrible owners you referenced yes. who really did run the club into the ground. Um, since then, kind of there's been really two key individuals, I think, in creating the sense of positivity around the club. The first is Simon Sadler, the owner, um, yeah. a kind of born in Blackpool fan of the club lad who works as an investment banker in Russia, now runs a hedge fund in Hong Kong and bought the club um, a couple of years ago, you know, when Oyston was forced to sell. And really kind of it's every fan's dream to have an owner who is a massive fan of the club, um, really wants to see it succeed, is passionate about the club, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, he's been vital in rejuvenating the kind of sense of community and unity in the club. And then secondly, I think the big positive factor has been Neil Neil Critchley, you know, bit of a left field appointment when he was first appointed, you know, previously Liverpool under-23s coach, you know, experience in a top managerial job, kind of very visible process of kind of learning in those first couple of months, but then really began to nail it, really began to click, you know, a quarter of the way through his first full season in charge in League One. And from that point on, we were unstoppable in League One, you know, and earned, promotion to the championship via the playoffs in our first season back in the championship with a I think weaker squad than most would have liked and I think certainly a squad that led to most pundits and bookie makers predicting we'd get relegated he instead led us to a relatively comfortable 16th place finish Mm. Um, and I think really do a lot of the fans do credit him with that so he and Sadler have been an incredible force for kind of getting Blackpool back into the championship, feeling like there's real progress and the momentum in the club again. And actually just this summer, you know, Sadler's announced that he's going to be kind of taking a £30 million loan to rebuild one of the stands and build a massive yes. training facility, which will help us do stuff like make our academy from a catch-free to a Category 2, start building that kind of youth pathway that's been neglected for 20, 30 years. Because particularly in that off-the-field stuff as well, Blackpool, mm. because of the underinvestment, are fifteen you know, decades behind other clubs and an area where we really need to catch up. So that's being addressed. There's no magic bullets. It won't get fixed overnight. But Sadler and Critchley have done an amazing job just restoring a sense of pride in the club and that you're proud to be a Blackpool fan again, which is really just what every fan wants, fundamentally, at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you come back to the... I suppose you kind of really have to call them the more recent glory days of being in the Premier League. And, you know, if you don't mind me saying this, and I don't mean this in a negative connotation, I think any team with either Dean Holloway in charge of them are going to be considered a bit of a motley crew. You know, a kind of a, a team of overachievers is essentially where what... Uh, <laughs> what it was, uh, it was felt that you guys were at that time, and maybe the sustainability of it was was something that could have been built on. But it's good to see now that you guys. The reason I'm saying that is because to be, I've been in the Premier League, what ten years ago, and then all of a sudden to find out that you only have a Cat tree, um, uh, yep. academy. You know, you you'd think that a, a team like Blackpool would have probably reinvested in the back end of the club first, uh, I suppose, and keep that and, and make sure that they can grow from. Go from that position, kind of more like a Huddersfield would have done recently, or maybe like even a Brentford have done through the years, have invested in their in, internally more so than taking all the dividends out. But as I say, I don't want to bring up the old wounds of um, of uh, of that old chairman whose name shall not be spoken, because as I say, it was a long hard road to get rid of him, Um, and lots of protests and lots of, um, if I'm not mistaken, there was court injunctions, there was everything involved? Now, that, th- there, there was
0: the the Blackpool Gazette journalist covering Blackpool. I think was more of a legal reporter towards the end of his time than an actual sports (laughs) reporter.
1: Um, Yeah, which is interesting, which is interesting itself. And look, you saw as I said that will take away from the club and players. Players aren't going to want to come near near a club like that. They're going to have that that kind of toxic element around them. And as I say, it all the green shoots of recovery came when I suppose Simon. Well, it's it's unfair to say it about Simon Grayson that he was a part of the, the 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 former Blackpool as such, but. Um, he did leave his post and you guys, as you mentioned, did appoint from left field and you appointed a coach more so than a manager in the ass, in, in the form of Neil Critchley. And as you mentioned, you guys were, were seen to have been relegation fodder again at the start of the season, but he kept you in the league uh, winning uh, or in 16th place. And, and what I really like about that, and it's something we'll get onto in a moment, but just to bear it in mind is you guys only had a minus four goal difference for even where you finished in the league. And I think that that's an interesting itself. And it shows that the goal, goals were scored, but also there was a compact defence in the back. In a league where boy, you had somebody who was scoring goals for fun in Mitrovic and the top teams were very top-heavy this season, I think.
0: Yeah, completely. I think the great thing about the Critchley is he always kept you in games. Like okay. we were never until the final day of the season when we we're playing a Peterborough team that had already been relegated, we had nothing to play for. We never got stomped last season. Like there was never kind of a 5 0 or a 7 0 or a 6 1 or anything like that, you know, which Fulham did do to a number of teams, mm. you know, a couple of times that season. Um, I think Neil Critchley is an excellent defensive coach. I think he has a relatively simple but effective structure. That players pick up very quickly. You know, it's a little bit further back, but that promotion season from League One, we had the best defensive record in League One, despite having the most injuries to our back line, forcing the most changes. Like it cannot be understated. I think how effective he is at drilling aside from the back, tidying up aside from the back, etc., and giving you that platform to really spring from. I think most fans would have liked us to score more goals. That's the prerogative of all fans everywhere. Um, but really, she just does an amazing job at doing the basics right and making you hard to beat as a team.
1: And God knows Aston Villa need to be hard to beat, specifically after 70 minutes in games. That's uh, <laughs> still a sore point. I, I, it's going to take me all off season to get over that. It's going to take me all off season. But um, I mentioned, and you mentioned it as well. You know that it, it was a bit of a left field uh, appointment. Not that Neil Critchley was unknown as such, because he had sat, he'd been on the touchline. He he managed he managed a, a senior game against Aston Villa in the Carabao Cup, and when they had to play their kids and Jurgen Jurgen Klopp was um was going to the World Club Cup Championship, whatever it's called out there, and and they had to play their kids against us. And Neil Critchley was the man who was was entrusted to 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 manage that day. But he had obviously been in what was being lauded as an absolutely fantastic Liverpool Under Twenty Three team. Uh, at that time. Now, whether those players, it's arguable, even now when you look at it, have those players really come true from from three years ago? But I don't think that's a Neil Critchley fault. But you guys did, uh, you you promoted him towards a a managerial position. Give me kind of an insight, I suppose, before we look at the tactics into the man himself. And I know this is difficult because obviously you look at the fact he signed his contract only six months ago and now he's out the door again. But think back to when you loved him. Think back yeah. to when you loved him. What think, was your, your your view of him, and, and and I suppose how he deals with media and, and, and like what 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 type of a what demeanor does he have?
0: I think he is an excellent coach, an excellent tactician. I'm probably still of the view that he is a good person, and I would be surprised if he doesn't become you know a Premier League manager or an England manager in the future. Um Really in terms of he built such an amazing connection with the fans in such a short period of time, particularly something that was very difficult to do when he started his post really kind of at the beginning of lockdown. But he had this, you know, maybe it's the Jurgen Klopp playbook, if I'm being cynical, of, you know the fist pumps at the end of the games, the tapping of the badges, talking about how Blackpool's a hard-working place and his team has to be equally hard-working if they're going to wear that shirt. You know, he said all the right things and it felt like he really got Blackpool as a place, you know, you're kind of slacked down and out, kind of hard-working, a little bit quirky city. He felt like he just got us and built Mm. that really rare connection to the fans that I don't think we had fans had really felt since Holloway. Um, sure. in terms of presenting to the media, he's always appeared very genuine, very humble, um, on the most part told it like it is. There have been a couple of disagreements between him and like the Lancs live journal- journalists or the Gazette journalists, et cetera. But on the whole, they felt that Neil Critchley has always been kind of honest in his assessment of the squad and where we're at, always willing to kind of stay around and have a joke kind of, um, teased him a little bit off the record, etc. You know, always gave the impression of being a thoroughly decent man. Now, the manner in which he's gone, in which it sounds like the club only found out short notice, the players didn't know, and certainly it was a shock to Blackpool fans with him having signed a deal to 2025 or 2026 just yeah. last year. You know, that that's left a sour taste in the mouths of many and has maybe opened him up to accusations of being disingenuous, but really, until yesterday, I don't think you would have heard any Blackpool fans, or certainly a ninety percent of Blackpool fans, would have only have said nice things about him.
1: Yeah, and um, I think that does come across. You see, you see it uh, in, in his post-match interviews, looking for 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 bits and pieces to to watch on him on YouTube during the course of the last night. You know, you come across so many of his interviews afterwards, and he just comes to, comes as uh, as a regular guy. You know, a regular guy, and and, and I think that, that that bodes well for a coach because he's not a a Billy Big Balls. It doesn't come across if you if if you'll excuse the term, he doesn't come across like that. He's not a, a guy who puffs out his chest or anything. And and reason I'm talking about that is you don't need two alpha do- alpha dogs um within the within the dressing room, and you need to have Steven Gerrard as the alpha dog within the dressing room. Um, so with Neil Critchley coming in and 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 his background, I suppose of Managing younger players previously, he probably needs to be a bit more intertwined within the player group as opposed to the management group. Would, would you say that he was he was a very good players manager, or he was more of a I players so. manager when he was there? And I think that's one thing that
0: I think was probably bugged me about the recent coverage. There's been a lot of focus on, you know, Beal was the the tactician Ooh. for Gerard and he's, Critchley's being brought in as this kind of new tactician replacement, which I think really does a disservice to his ability as a man-manager. Um, there are characters in the kind of Blackpool dressing room. You know, there's individuals like Gary Medin, kind of our veteran, you know, 30 plus year old striker, who once absolutely rinsed out a poor media kind of um, staff member, because they used a picture of him with kind of like this bright yellow, you know, bowl cut on the program. Um, And Neil Critchley showing the ability to handle those veterans and those big personalities really, really well, while also developing younger players. I think you know if you're looking for somebody who can be a slightly softer touch to maybe Gerard, or can kind of be the good cop to Gerard, he can absolutely bring that. If you're looking for somebody to kind of do a bit more hand holding of you know maybe that pathway from the under-23s to the first team, Critchley can absolutely be that man. He's not just a kind of X's and O's, you know, arrows and half spaces kind of guy. He absolutely gets the human side of the game. And now I would hate for that to get lost in a lot of the coverage of him as a tactician or in our discussion about him later in terms of the tactics he's produced on the pitch.
1: Mm, absolutely. And and as I say, I think when you're a backroom member of the squad and, and like it, there's a lot of debate as to, is he going to be an assistant manager or what is he? And the, I think the backroom for Aston Villa is, is it's a fluid type backroom system. Obviously Gary McAllister is there probably to be that experienced head, the, the, players can look at and that he can talk to players and say, listen, in my day, kind of a conversation. Gerard, while he's only 40, what, 42 or something like that, or 43, like, he's probably still too close to some of those players to say back in my day because they would have watched him. But it's nice to have that kind of real experience, Ted. Then you had Mike Beal, who was the... Uh, he laid out training. You know, he was the man with the cones. He was the man with the with the uh, clipboard. He was the man who who ran the drills. And I think Critchley is going to come in and be that guy too. But also, Mike Beale. A lot of people said that he was like a second manager. He was somebody they could go to for a second opinion. He was somebody they could go to and they could talk to, as if it was Steven Gerrard. Because obviously, in the Premier League and and in other leagues as well, I don't want to be disingenuous towards that. The Steven Gerrard going to be dragged left, right, and centre doing media interviews. He's like people come there to talk to him. And it's mm-hmm. nice to have this guy in the background that can that can also uh, take over the mantle um, when Gerard is is preoccupied. And I think it's okay to say that about a manager because we do have celebrity executives. Like, we live in the world of the celebrity executive CEO in business, and we also live in the world of the celebrity manager within football, too. And I think that's okay, too. So bringing in somebody like Critchley is... Um, is is very important, I think, and specifically based on what you've said there, the fact that he can be the arm around the shoulder guy to a younger player, and also relate to somebody like Gary Medine, who's a complete head to ball at times, and uh, and, uh, and and you know still get the two of them in the same sympathetic within the same team. So that's that's really interesting. Now you mentioned that you mentioned that uh, that obviously he is a tactician. And uh, we are going to talk about that. And I suppose that's what, that's what the whole premise of the podcast was, to get a, a look at, at Neil Critchley's tactical analysis. Because one of the things that's been waged at Aston Villa is that we flipped between identities at times this season. We've played two nines. We've played two tens. We've played our full backs high. We've played no defensive midfielder. We've played defensive midfielders. Um, we've left Tyrone Mings and Ezra Konsa completely open at times. At other times, we've pushed them right back onto our box, and I think, I think it's difficult for any coaching team to come in mid-season and to to grab the bull by the horns, specifically when you've only got two and a half years of of coaching. Granted, in in a in a lesser league in Scotland, without any um, without any malice towards the Scottish league. So Neil Critchley is going to have a sea an off season to implement what he wants to implement, and um, it would be nice to take a look at that now. Guys, you might wonder why I was so excited about Connor coming on the podcast. You know the way I've got a punch on for an old uh, a slideshow here and there and to bring up things with statistics. Well, Connor is is a man after my own heart, and he wanted me to show up this. Well, actually, he didn't want me to. I, I wanted him to show it too. He wanted me to show this, and it is a graph that will uh, hopefully go some way to explaining the similarities between how some of our players can play and, and Neil Critchley. So I'm going to shut up. I'm gonna leave them. I'm gonna leave Connor take over from here and explain the defensive approach.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I think actually from what you're saying around he's gonna have an entire off-season to implement what he wants. I don't think that's gonna be such a big lift. Because from what you've told me and from what I've seen of Villa, is really I think his philosophy is just gonna be a continuation of um, what Villa already do. You know in terms of you defend narrow force opposition players into wide areas and really kind of exploit those um kind of really stop them exploiting you know narrow pieces of pitch etc the middle of the pitch you know i think the final game of the season you had against manchester city was a really good example of that they really struggled to break villa down really struggled to break you down until they brought on zinchenko and created that width um in the pitch um I know it's something Gerrard did well at Rangers as well, defending the middle of the pitch, and you see it in his choice of formation, whether it's the Christmas tree formation that's currently up on the screen at the moment, or it's that kind of midfield diamond that packs bodies in the middle of the pitch. It really feels like that is your identity, at least, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. And that's actually Mm. Critchley's identity as well. You know, When I think about what Neil Critchley has done this season in the Championship, and it's been quite effective it's been on kind of, you know, forcing opposition players out wide. So, you know, our front four, you know, our two strikers and then kind of two wide midfielders, wingers, kind of position themselves and cut off all the passing lanes into the middle of the pitch, normally forcing the opposition to pass to the fullbacks, at which point they trigger a press, try and win that ball in the tighter space, and ideally, you know, maybe win a throw in, et cetera. Um, If that press fails, which you know does happen quite a lot when you're maybe dealing with less technical players at the bottom of the championship playing really good sides you've still got you know a back four and two holding midfielders you know with the two midfielders really screening that middle of the pitch and keeping the ball in the wide areas um and protecting the front of the defense protecting the middle of the pitch you know blackpool thinking about it did this really really well against fulham and swansea this season you know, two dominant possession sides who are kind of just forced to just keep lumping crosses in again and again and again until actually Mitrovic got quite frustrated and tried to start a fight with our keeper. Um, (laughs) Kind of, it isn't a sophisticated system. It's not like comes with a load of tactics there. It's a relatively simple pressing trigger at the front and, you know, kind of a effective low block using two central defensive midfielders at the other end. But it works and it's been very effective at kind of stopping opposition players from getting into dangerous areas and getting dangerous chances. So based on what I know about Gerard and his approach in terms of really kind of defending narrow, I think this will be a real continuation and won't be hopefully a big shock to um, the Villa players in terms of how they defend, etc.
1: Just before you leave the defensive approach there, I find that really interesting. And that that's really great insight, specifically with the two um more shielding uh, midfielders in there, because I I could name one shielding midfielder that Aston Villa could play in there, and I'm all out of I'm all out of options for someone else to put in beside them, potentially a Douglas Louise. But if they because they're gonna be busy and they're gonna I, I would imagine that they're gonna be pivots, and we're gonna come on to it again, I suppose, when we talk about the, the attacking approach. But with regards to positional fluidity and I suppose tactical fluidity as well, Connor, um, am I right in saying that I, I watched the game that he played against Swansea and I thought Swansea were, were a good example. Um, but did he play a back three against Swansea or did my eyes deceive me? Uh, is he Does he throw a wrinkle in every so often? And He, he in very finals? much
0: does. He's very much a tinkerer. I can count maybe on the number of, you know, on one hand, the number of times, you know, the Blackpool Gazette journalist has successfully predicted Neil Critchley's lineup. You know, he'll always kind of rotate somebody out, et cetera, give, rotate the game time, keep people fresh, et cetera. Um, he will sometimes change formation, although I think that dampened down more recently. He kind of the 442 has become a much more solid choice. But, you know, I think one game against Swansea, I think maybe, it was, maybe we were away at Swansea, he played a back three and tried to match them up to stop them overloading in the wide areas. Um, didn't do that a huge amount in the season, but I think always just wanted to make sure it was an option he could have. And I think more regularly, and I think we'll come on to this when we talk about you know, the offensive phases of playing the build-up, he has shown a penchant for a kind of four-two-three-one and a slightly more kind of okay. intricate, you know, formate, passing play formation than maybe the kind of 4-4-2 allows. Um, so I think if you're expecting a you know, assistant head coach who's going to play the same formation every week or encourage Gerard to play the same formation every week and pick the same players. That's not going to be him and you're still going to see those wrinkles. But I think fundamentally, you know, when you get past, you know, the formation numbers, which are just numbers on a piece of paper in the end, Mm -hmm. I think his approach is going to be very, very similar. And the principles he likes to play with are going to be very, very similar to how um To what Villa already have, and I think once that's bedded down, the rest is just window dressing and you know little bits of intrigue for the fans.
1: This might be a segue in towards the attacking approach in, in a moment, and if it is, feel free to move forward onto the attacking side of things. But um, when you when you talk about a defensive a, a, a true defensive setup that he that he likes to likes to play, is it does he? actually it won't be anything to do with the with the attacking side of things i'll hold that question to later so i'll go to a different question that i had because i've just got distracted in my mind um do when when he likes to when he plays um the, the on the counter so when when blackpool were being countered would they have very much a, a contained type defence? Like would they retreat quickly back to their box, or would they press high? Would they try and win it? Would they take maybe a bit of gamble in their own midfield? Would those two midfielders do that, or would they basically retreat and protect the D in front of the box? Because Villa have tried to do that in the Premier League, and I'm not sure whether this Villa team can do it. And I'm just wondering to see if there would be a change of implementation of that when when Blackpool were being hit in the counter, what should Villa expect?
0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpercasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So, I don't think Blackpool were very good at dealing with counterattacks last season. Okay. Um I think part of that is a function of how we build up play. I think it's quite similar to Villain. We have a front five, and normally at least one of the fullbacks is quite high up the pitch, which obviously means there you've got like, bodies That was going short. to be my
1: question. <laughs> yeah,
0: which means you've got bodies short um, in the midfield. And I would say, and i need to kind of go look at film and stats to back this up. I think one of the midfielders will normally try and press up and kind of put pressure on somebody, force them to make a bad decision, while the other holding midfielder will retreat back and kind of give support to, in this example, it will be husband or left-back, Marvin Ekpateta or centre-back and Richard Keogh. Richard Keogh is not going to be fast enough to deal with the counter-attack most of the time. That's not why he is in our squad. Ekpateta, I think, is an absolutely phenomenal defender. and I wouldn't be surprised if Critchley signs him. I think, well, actually, no, I think I would because I think Villa can probably do better on your budget, but I think Ektat is absolutely ready for the Premier League. His ability, I think he was able to mask a lot of our problems because he kind of almost had that like free safety role where he could just deal mm-hmm. with. He has the pace and the ability to tackle on the slide to kind of stop attacks, you know, um, at source or, you know, kind of always make those last ditch tackles when you need him to. He was just exceptionally good at that. But I think that masked a real weakness of Blackpool, which is because we left room on the flanks in how we build up in the attacking phase of play, we could sometimes get caught out um, on the counter. Very obvious at the beginning of our season against teams like Cardiff and Huddersfield. We maybe learned how to deal with it a little bit better um, later on in the season. But I don't. If, again, if you're looking for a solution to that problem, I'm not sure Neil Critchley's shown that he can solve that at Blackpool yet, but who knows what he can do with better. the better players he'll have it at his disposal. at Villa.
1: Um, there's a question in here from one, from one of the guys watching. Uh, it's from Stephen, and he says, they watch the playoff final, and noticed the press was very vulnerable to switches of play in the Premier League, where teams are quicker to switch the ball. Could this because this setup be an issue? I suppose the two questions in that is have is that something you've noticed the quick pitches, a uh, quick switches of of play." Um do leave the team vulnerable and um yeah. and is that something that actually continued on in towards the championship? So I think you do see the switches are play less often
0: in the Premier League. There are a couple of examples where um I think we were caught out the game against Cardiff I just referenced. I think it's our um it was maybe our third game of the season last season, you know, their final goal, which they scored on the counter while we were trying to press for an equalizer. They just decimated us with by um, executing the ball in those wide player areas so well. Because we have players high up the pitch, because we try and use our width and use our fullbacks, we are only really kind of using two midfielders and three defenders to try and guard the middle of the pitch, which means if somebody's able to make a run down the left, draw everyone in, switch a ball to the right, and you know, you're know you're, you're absolutely in. I think it's a feature of how we play and um, and will be something where we have that degree of vulnerability. I'm not necessarily sure it'll be an issue in the Premier League because again you'll have higher quality defenders, you'll have faster defenders who can recover from that maybe, and maybe we'll have kind of slightly better positional discipline to not be in that situation in the first place, knowing it is more likely in that division and being more used to it. Um, but yeah, I think the kind of the switches of play point is a good one. It is a um vulnerability that you know is very I think very much a choice in how we play and to talk, you know, how we talk how we've talked how we talked about how we play so far. And you know our approach so far has been hope one of the wingers or you know one of the defensive midfielders fielders can put enough pressure so that those balls never really work.
1: Mm, Excellent that 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 makes sense. And it does make sense and to be honest with you. Um Obviously, Critchley and Beale would have grown up in the same house with regards to Liverpool. And uh, some of what you've mentioned there does ring true to what we saw with Aston Villa last season with, full, with high fullbacks, specific, specifically in the attacking approach. And if we can move on to the attacking approach there and, and, and have a quick look at that, we'll be able to um, we we'll, we maybe make more sense of that. I'll just move us out of the way there just for a moment. Um, and I'll move us back again. So yeah, I like where you've got Dina in cash anyway, for sure. Because <laughs> there was actual there was actual times where Luca Dina was probably up the, in that exact position more than he was back uh, in the in, in his own half, specifically against um, uh specifically against weaker teams. You know, he was just up there all the time. But uh, talk to me a bit about the attacking approach that uh, that takes place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think. The attacking philosophy is a bit less certain. There are some immediate similarities, I think, born out of just how all elite teams can and should attack. Um, But the composition and the way he probably builds those attacks will be very different. So fundamentally, I think Critchley's preference is to attack with a front five like most elite sides do. There's a very great Michael Cox article in The Athletic that kind of goes into that in more detail, as well as one on kind of up to my pool (UTMP). Um, the site I kind of write for um, you know with Villa it's very very clear it is your two kind of attacking either attacking midfielders or kind of inside wide forwards um, depending on the formation you're playing With then they're going to cut in with the fullbacks really aggressively providing the width as you pointed out whereas with Blackpool I think that front five you know is more going to be our two strikers in this situation, Lavery and Medin, our two kind of attacking midfielders or inside you know, inside wide players, Keshi Anderson and Josh Bowler. And then there's normally just going to be one full-back, maybe pushing up, providing that width, you know, that fifth man to make that overload. And in this situation, it's probably our rampaging right-back, Jordan Gabriel, while our left-back, Jimmy Husband, you know, tucks in a little bit, joins the midfield um, you know, kind of provides that shield, much like you know. I think I've seen Villa do. Um, so the composition slightly different, but I think his kind of you know end state for how he wants his attacks to look and be maintained um, is going to look is going to be quite similar. Um, you know, with at least one fullback still supporting. You know, some of the positions or you know, some of the composition; those numbers are going to be slightly different. Um, but again, similar to defense, the principles are going to be the same. I think the real question that I have when this was announced was um, how is he going to do in the build-up because really Blackpool began their attacks with Grimshaw slamming the ball up to Gary Medine, our big centre-forward who would most of the time win his aerial battle and kind of flick it on to Keshi Anderson or Josh Bowler on the wing and then they would, you know, push it into the box or around the box with kind of reinforcements arriving etc i can't imagine that is going to be how As- steven gerrard wants to play or how fans of aston villa are going to want them to play and to we, be fair, we, we don't, don't win
1: he- many flick-ons we, we don't have people <laughs> who are great in the air up top but at this moment so hopefully that's not how he plays it yeah
0: yeah so we'll 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 see but i just I don't to his credit, I don't think that's Neil Critchley's first choice. He has kind of often flirted with a 3rd 4 4-2-3-1, I think I alluded to that earlier, you know, where he wants to kind of, you know, have more intricate passing triangles, etc. But he's just never quite been able to get it to to work and really implement it with this group of players. You know, with the 4-4-2, you know, hit it to the big man has always just seemed to be a bit more effective and got us good results. Um so Maybe Critchley will do better um, with better players at his disposal. Maybe he'll finally be able to realise that part of his footballing vision, footballing dream, but he hasn't at Blackpool. And, you know, I think I've seen a couple of Villa fans, you know, question or comment around your build-up does sometimes look a bit, you know, erratic, particularly in the middle Mm. of the pitch, you know, doesn't look very fluid. I've not seen much from Neil Critchley's time at Blackpool, that suggests he's gonna be able to solve that midfield problem because he's been most effective when we completely bypass the midfield and hit it to the big man.
1: And I wonder, and this is probably a question that we can't answer, but I wonder is that and I don't mean this in a derogatory way once again, I wonder is that league specific? Is that playing to what to to what he has? Like w- like it would be silly to not lump the ball on top of an old head like Ari Medine he's done it at, at, at the championship level for donkey's years, you know, longer than he probably wanted to. And uh, maybe it was just too glaring a, a, a weapon to have to play. maybe play it through the middle. But it'll be interesting, as you say, to 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 see how that does translate um, into the Premier League.
0: Yeah, and I think part of it, again, is if you're playing a 4-4-2, because that's how we like to set up defensively, you are only really going to have that two in midfield when really a lot of sides in the championship would maybe play a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 or a, you know, you kind of free at the back system with you know your wing backs up there as more sure. bodies in the middle of the pitch. So really a very common feature of Blackpool games, I think again, by virtue of our formation how we chose to set up was we, we would be overrun in midfield against, you know, high quality championship midfields. And again, we would shuffle them out wide and really limit the impact of that. Um, whether Villa with, I think, greater options in midfield and that ability to play in a 4-3-3 or with kind of, you know, two number 10s who can come and support and drop a little bit deeper if they need to, whether that problem still remains, I don't know. You know, I, I'd like to think that, that with all the resources and players you have at your disposal, that is a problem that could be solved. But, you know, there was an element to which I think that was that issue was specific to the way we set up as a side um, rather than, you know, certainly a you know Neil Critchley philosophy. Um...
1: And that, yeah, that that's what I, I think I'm getting at as well, for a simple fact that he didn't learn long ball football at Liverpool. You could be guaranteed yeah. that. You know, he was. It wasn't as if he came in and Jürgen Klopp pointed at him and go, why are you keeping it on the ground? I want it Jack Charlton style. Higher in the air is the way I want the ball. So that's what makes me think that you know he made he he saw what he had and, and it's a plus point I suppose in a way saw what he had molded his tactics to to suit that got the results because he got you promoted and then further got the results in the championship where he got you the stability to stay there against as you said the bookies odds and um, we've got a question here for you as well and it's a really good question. Uh, If I could ask Connor how he found uh, his in game management, would he change it up quick if it wasn't going to plan, or would he remain patient? Also, if you could comment on his use of subs, um,
0: in game management, I think not the best. I think often he'd make a substitution, you'd be like, Why did you do that, Neil? etc. Um, but a lot of the times that's were fans making those questions after the game with the benefit of hindsight? Um, he's obviously Blackpool is obviously his first position in the top job. I think that you're always going to kind of have to learn that in your first job. I think we've seen something very similar of our Tetra at Arsenal lots of questions around his in game yes. management, but I think Critchley has shown that he can learn from that and that he can try and. I think his in-game management has got better. His use of substitutions has got better um, so far. Um, but really kind of, I would say, not completely disastrous, but not an area where like he's, he stands out. Like He's not a Pep Guardiola making subs to change the game, recognizing that your opponent is defending narrow, bringing on a wide fullback to really stretch it and coming back from two goals down to win the league. Like, I don't think I've not seen something like that from Critchley yet. Um, but I don't, I, I wouldn't say in game management is one of his biggest weaknesses. I think there are more areas we can talk about. Maybe there.
1: I let you away with the Man City reference. I let you away <laughs> with the last day of the season reference for sure. You're too nice. You're too nice to give out here. Um, that's though, as I say, that, that, that does make sense because I suppose a lot of those in-game management pieces are, they're learned philosophies, they're learned experiences and, um, and it would be interesting as I say that, well, and, and, and realistically speaking, it's probably not going to be his call now that he's, uh, he's in the backroom team again and not the main head honcho. It's probably not going to be his call in this instance, but, um, you know, he would be part of the brain trust from that point of view. Um, this is an interesting question here as well, so we'll, we'll, we'll maybe finish up on this one, but similar question. Aston Villa managed to recover just one point in 13 games when losing at halftime last season. As a manager with a more impressive defensive record, how well does Critchley respond to losing positions? And I presume what that means is going down a goal or going down two goals. How does he respond to that?
0: Yeah, I think pretty well. Um, I don't... The amount of times that Blackpool downed tools having gone behind last season was very rare. Um, I don't think we did that as a side. I don't think there was ever a point where we just completely gave up and, you know, um, capitulated. Actually, I think Critchley's record coming from behind is quite impressive. I think we were fifth in the championship last season, four points won from a losing position. Excellent. Um that might be virtue of the fact that, as a you know, bottom of the table side, we were in losing positions more sides more times than most. But the, the head, their kind of headline stat is positive at least. Um, I think that is testament to Critchley's kind of tactical flexibility and his ability to train players to deal with situations in a number of ways. I think we've seen players get smarter, you know, particularly some of the young players under Critchley. It's helped them, helped them deal with challenging positions in game or challenging situations in game. And I also think another part of that statistic about Blackpool coming back from losing positions isn't actually related to Critchley at all. Blackpool, having had terrible owners for years and long boycotts, to immediately going onto lockdown and not being able to see the team when it was doing mm. well. We came back last season with a vengeance, you know, and were I think, consistently one of the loudest fan bases in the championship. We didn't always bring numbers, but we always brought our voices. Um, And, you know, kind of whenever you did that end of season, who was the best away fans at your ground, kind of a lot of championship fans were very nice and said, Blackpool were amazing. So I think also part of that ability to come back from losing positions is I like to think as a fan, the fact that Blackpool fans are incredibly incredibly vocal and help the team dig deep when they need to. So I think Critchley's probably quite good at training a side to come back from leading positions. I think the fans also helped in that situation as well.
1: Excellent, that is good to hear, that is good to hear because Villa Park has been, there's been times when it's nearly blown the roof off this time this season, uh, but there's also been times whereby, uh maybe it hasn't, now I've only, I haven't been back much since since the turn of football, uh, return of football should I say, but I know the fans want to be able to cheer on their team, and, and and I'm sure it's going to give them a great lift in the coming season. Um, knowing that that they will have be galvanized. Well, do you know what? Well, do you know what's better than coming back from a losing position? Not being in the losing position in the first place. That's what the, that's what the best solution for coming back from a losing position. Is, um, Connor. I, I'm, I'm just absolutely delighted you've given me tons of time today, and um, we didn't even agree on a time, but I was only thinking 20 minutes in the, in the back of my mind, and we're 40 minutes already. Um, any last kind of final words, I suppose, on, on Critchley? Anything that you maybe haven't gotten around to saying that you'd like the fans to know about?
0: Um, I think probably I'd, I'd close on two things. The first is young players, and the second is set pieces. Um. Critchley, if if I think he's going to be used right, will have an impact on young players, should have an impact on kind of your pathway into the first team. I think you know, Davies, Cameron Archer, maybe even Ramsey could hopefully benefit from kind of the man who supposedly tortured Alexander-Arnold, everything he knew. And to be fair, in his limited time at Blackpool with a much more limited youth setup, um, he did quite well. Young, promising players who had been dismissed, you know, completely by other Premier League academies like Shane Lavery, Josh Bowler. You know, mm. Shane Lavery was playing out in Ireland. You know, Josh Bowler had been cut from Everton and then Hull. He, you know, made those guys who had been cast off into really quite serious championship players. You know, it's looking like he might get kind of a five million fee for Josh Bowler this summer. You know, he can develop those young players and I'm really excited to what he can see what he can do with the talent Villa has, and the setup Villa has. I would be really excited about that. On the other side, um, Blackpool weren't great at set pieces last season. Kind of statistically, we seemed okay, but the eye test, we were just... Like, we were always kind of conceding goals with, like, headers, you know, people just completely open with a free header from corners. Or, like, all our free kicks or corners wouldn't get past the first man. And it just struck me as very, very odd for a coach, as meticulous and kind of believing in the system as Neil Critchley that he wouldn't do better in probably one of the most easily coachable parts of the game. Um, so I know Aston Villa have, you know, a specialist set peach coach, Austin McPhee, oh, by all accounts. We've got we, we two. Too.
1: Well, well, Tom Clunshaw apparently uh, has been doing a lot of work with them as well, uh, as well as Austin McPhee. So, yeah. yeah. So
0: hopefully that won't be as big an issue, but you know, more so than in-game management I would say that would have been one of Critchley's big weaknesses is that ability to manage set pieces but hopefully again you've got the right team around him and the right backroom staff in other parts of Villa that that will be mitigated
1: and um- this is going completely off topic, but I think it would be remiss of me not to ask a Blackpool fan this question. And um, given the, the 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 profile, I think that this, uh, this this young man has gained, and that the club has gained from supporting him as well. But Jake Daniels obviously made a really big decision, and mm-hmm. um, to. To, to come out uh, very recently as well, obviously to national acclaim, and he's received a lot of support about it. What's the feeling around the club? I suppose is it good to see uh, is, the club has rallied around him and really, and really, really protected him. I suppose from that as well, because as we know, uh, this that that uh, it, it hasn't actually been something that's been the done thing. But what way are the club or what what's the what way is the is is the the club, the community, and everything like that reacting to this uh, ter- incredibly brave thing to do?
0: I think. First and foremost, and it probably sounds very obvious, it's just immense pride in him and his decision to come out. I think it is a testament to him and his character and his bravery to do it, particularly at such a young age.
1: That's what I mean. Um, yeah.
0: And I think, I think it is also a testament to Kieran Donnelly, our academy manager, in terms of creating that atmosphere where people feel like they can come out. I think it's a testament to people, not only at the club, but also Sky Sports News. They knew about this for a number of months, but nobody leaked it so that he could tell his story the way he wanted to, and the impact wasn't diluted. I think that's a testament to um, him, his family, the club, Sky Sports, um, 100%. I I think there's also a real pride in that, again, this feels another way in which the team is reflecting the community, you know, Blackpool is one of the largest kind of LGBT hotspots outside of maybe Brighton and London. Um, So I think it's a particular source of pride that we would have, you know, we would be, we would be one of the clubs to kind of have, you know, Britain's first openly gay footballer, you know, active openly gay male footballer for quite a while. Um, So yeah, really positive, really great news story for the club. Can't wait to see what he can also do on the pitch. His game time up until now has been quite limited, but just really, really proud. And he's having an impact. You know, we've just seen two, you know, match officials in Scotland come out as gay on the same day, attributing it to Daniels. So he's already having an impact and long may it continue on and off the pitch.
1: Absolutely, and I agree, agree wholeheartedly, and I concur with absolutely everything you said there as well. Long way continuing, long way people feel safe, feel more comfortable, and, and in a safer space to do that. Connor, you've you've get you're getting love in the comments, Connor. <laughs> you're getting love in the comments for sure. I, I think everybody will um, uh, will uh would want to see you back. Uh, you know to chat about if anything else Blackpool related does come up maybe we'll draw you guys in the cup or something like that I, maybe I was about back. to
0: say that like, I really hope we get you in the cup and I really <laughs> hope we smash you after this
1: news <laughs> like, it's nothing See?
0: personal but I absolutely want that now
1: <laughs> i didn't think you had it in you connor i didn't think you had it in you to go there but uh no i can completely empathize with that but uh i really appreciate your time it's been a brilliant conversation i definitely know a whole lot more about neil critchley and i'm sure the the people listening to this uh do as well before you go do you want to uh, give uh, your public where, where you do your writing and, and maybe any of the podcasts that you're on uh a little plug before we go as well
0: absolutely so you can find some long form kind of relatively infrequent written pieces at a place called UTMP. Um, Just Google UTMP blog and we'll find it. There's kind of lots of stuff there, maybe on how Blackpool is evolving tactically, sometimes some broader stuff on the state of the championship um, and lots of Blackpool merch. And you can also find me pontificating kind of on a more weekly basis at the Seasiders podcast along with a bunch of other co-hosts, which again, if you're in the hankering for anything kind of tangerine-flavoured, is probably the place to go. Um, so check me out on all of those. You can always, at, you know, search me on @clad all over on Twitter as well. There's kind of lots of eclectic ramblings buildings there as well.
1: Excellent. That's brilliant. And I did see you in action last night on the Seasiders pod. And that's what prompted me to to message you and ask you were you available to come on? Because, as I say, there was a varying degree of emotion on that podcast. And, and I felt that you were a real steadying ship through the whole lot, which is to be, that's not me having to go to anybody else in the podcast. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was good to see that because God knows I've gone through five emotions on a podcast when certain players and, and, and um, managers have left the club before as well so it's a hard and also if if, if we'd
0: lost our manager and we weren't emotional about it yeah. you'd be worrying what you were getting
1: <laughs> exactly 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 there it is that's it in a nutshell well thank you so much connor once again for popping on thank you so much to everybody who who uh joined us for the ride today and to listen um i know look you guys are should be out celebrating uh, the, the the long long bank holiday guys that you have at the moment, so we're not going to keep you any longer. Um, I will be back again tomorrow. I do have a pre-recorded conversation I had with a, an Irish journalist who does write for Total Football Analysis on Boubacar Kamara. That will be dropping tomorrow morning for some light uh, light entertainment over the course of the weekend. I would really love if you had uh, if you could give that a watch as well. Um, but obviously. Uh, as I say, thank you so much once again, Connor. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh stay safe. Say stay. Say st- just be good to each other because I can't talk. I'm tongue, I'm tongue-tight from talking for so long. Be good, teacher. Enjoy yourselves, and all that's left to say is up the villa. And I can't find my outro now after all that.